Well, this is it, right? This is the week that we've been talking about for some five weeks now, right? It is Thanksgiving week, right? This is it. This is the Super Bowl, right? This is what we've been preparing for, right? We've talked about all of these ways to be thankful. You've been writing in your gratitude journal every day for the past five weeks, right? Yeah, we wavered a little bit maybe, right? But you've got it. You've got the discipline. We're reminding ourselves what we're grateful for because we know that gratitude can rewire our brains. It makes us happier and healthier and the more people uh, like the people that we want to be. We've walked through some categories together that we can be grateful for rest, time to slow down. We can be grateful for unity even in a divided time. We can be grateful for the people around us even if we need some extra grace and to put up some new boundaries in our life. We can be grateful for church, this community that we share together. Hopefully you're grateful for those things. Hopefully you've come up with a few additional categories on your own as you've reflected and prayed and thought about it with your family. But again, it's this week, right? This is the big dance, Thanksgiving dinner, and in the year of our Lord, COVID-19, You aren't going to be beat down, right? You aren't going to be caught flat-footed with nothing to be thankful for. You're going to lead the charge. You've got gratitudes on gratitudes. If no one asks that all-important Thanksgiving question, what are you thankful for? You're going to volunteer it, right? Because you've learned and you've processed how to be thankful in a world that's pulling you in the opposite direction. So what should we talk about today? If you're ready for this week, right, you're ready to go, albeit digitally, socially distanced, perhaps not in the typical family setting that you're focused in on, what do we, how about we look beyond Thanksgiving? How do we keep this attitude, cultivate this behavior for the future? Hopefully you've begun and practiced that during these weeks, but how can we remember to carry this attitude of gratitude with us into the future, for the future, and for what's next? Because in spite of safety level red, right, which is where we're now back to, there is still a future, there is still a hope, and spoiler alert, right, it's a good one, and someday we'll look back to these days fondly, and the question for us is, so how do we get from where we are to where we're going to be? How do we get from being in this moment to transitioning to the place where we will be and where God is calling us to? Not just holding on, not just trying to survive. How do we get to the point where we're creating the future that God has for us, pushing ourselves forward? I think there are some timeless principles in Scripture that we can use as guides to orient us today so that we, when we arrive at that thankful future, we can be reminded of these realities, be confident in what God calls us to, and build around these truths as we move forward in pursuit of God. So what do we do to focus, to continue to be thankful in the middle of a pandemic as we navigate towards the future? A couple timeless truths for us today. The first is this, God is still God. God is still God. Nothing is changing, right? In spite of COVID and difficulties, in spite of elections and political spin, in spite of pandemics and health restrictions, in spite of remote learning and changes in jobs or income, God is still God. Deuteronomy 7.9 says this the most clearly. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. This is written when there were other gods, right? Like there were opposing nations with other gods. And the writer of this in Deuteronomy is reminding the Israelites, hey, no, your God is the true God and don't you forget it. 
He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Look, even as we survey the world, we may not feel like it, but God is still faithfully working. He's still bringing about his future kingdom into the here and now. He hasn't abdicated his lordship. He is not off the throne. Psalm 103 reminds us that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. And as you survey your life, your world, your reality, you may not feel that, but here's the good news. Faith is not dependent on our feelings. It's not dependent on how we feel in a moment or how we act in a moment. Faith operates in spite of how we feel. Faith operates in spite of what we observe, even what we experience, because as Deuteronomy reminds us, our God is the true God, and that God is faithful. It says he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments, right? That means our faithfulness, keeping his commandments, keeping our love strong and focused on him in the midst of the world that we find ourselves in, it actually creates the future, right? Our faithfulness creates the future that God calls us to. It creates the structure that our future is built on, that our children's futures are built on, the structure that churches are built on and our families are built around, By trusting God, recognizing that God is still God, he's still on his throne, that he is the faithful God, we can create and usher in the future that is built on his faithfulness, but is also dependent on ours. Which is a lot of pressure, right? Like to create a future that we can be grateful for means that we have to be faithful to create it by honoring God and keeping his commands and staying in step with him. There's just one small problem. I don't know if you struggle with this, but I'm not perfect. Right? I don't know about you, but I can't keep his commands perfectly. I do my best, but I make mistakes. I fall short like hourly, right? Like minute by minute. You, you with me out there? It's just me. I mean, I'm fine if it's I'm the only one, but I think, okay, I think we're all together in this, right? So what happens when we aren't faithful and we don't keep his commands faithfully and his love extends to a thousand generations? The good news in Jesus is that God is still faithful even When we aren't. Second Timothy 2 says, if we are faithless, if we're unable to do this thing, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. Look, God is the true God. God is faithful. And while our calling is to be faithful and to keep in step with his commandments, the reality is he knows that we're going to fall short and he helps us in those moments. So even when we fail and we will. Even when we fall short and we do, even when we forget his goodness and his provision, when we act out of fear or even with our best intentions and they're misunderstood, even if we are faithless, God is still faithful. God is still the true God and he cannot stop being who he is, which is loving and faithful, true, just, and good. So don't let the news cycle, the latest round of closings, or even a pastor delivering a particularly hard message take away from the fact that God is still faithful. He's faithful to himself, he's faithful in his promises, and he is faithful to you. And the reality about these times are that God is probably closer in these moments than at any other time in our lives. Psalm 34 verse 18 reminds us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In spite of all that's going on, we can be confident, more confident in God's closeness, in his nearness, in his care, and his concern. Because he's still 
God. He's still on the throne. He is still faithful even when we aren't, and he's closer to us now in our time of need than at any other time. Guys, he's right in the middle of this. He's not far off. He has not forgotten. He is here. That's the message of Christmas. Little spoiler alert. That's where we're going. But not only is God still God, but the good news that we can trust in, and that is that in spite of all that's going on around us to create the future that we're called into, the church is still the church. We may not be perfect. We certainly don't have it all figured out. But guess what? We're God's chosen instruments. We're his space and opportunity, the invitation that he gives us to be his people. Ephesians 5, which we often use to talk about marriage, really sets up Christ's relationship with us, his church. Starting in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. In what way? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. That's us cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word to present her, us, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, as what? As Christ loved the church, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. The church is still the church. And listen, Christ still loves the church. He gave himself up. To make us holy, not because of all the right things we do, not because of how good we were, because we have it all figured out. We are holy and clean and acceptable, not because of how we clean up, but because of his already finished work on the cross. I'll, I'll never forget, God spoke to me through this passage when, when I was in college and young and arrogant. Thankfully, I'm not that anymore, at least the young part. But what God said was that we were reading this passage and he was going, hey, this is my bride. And at that time, we kind of were graduating and we thought, hey, we're, we're God's answer to fix the church, right? We're going to do away with all the stuff that isn't working. We've got the idea. We know what's going on. We know how to make this work and to reach the next generation. And it very quickly turned into bashing the churches that weren't doing it right in our infinite wisdom. And in a moment of clarity, God spoke to me specifically through this passage, and he said, now I want you to be careful because you're talking about my wife. How do you respond when somebody talks negatively about your spouse? Especially like when they think you're going to join in for some reason, like they're saying, your wife always does that, and you're like, not cool, dude. Nope. Not okay, right? Oh, your husband always does that. Huh, I'm not going there with you. That's my spouse. That's my bride. That's my groom. Ain't no way I'm going there. You get defensive really, really quick. Listen, Christ is still taking care of his bride. He says, I gave myself up for her to make her holy, so don't you dare speak an ill word about her. Not because we have it all figured out, not because we're perfect or that we finished the race marked out for us. We still endeavor to do our best, but Christ loves his church simply because we are his. And that doesn't mean that we don't still have work to do, that we strive to become the best version of ourselves, to live holy lives, to keep things in proper perspective. But the reality is that we are his and he loves us and the church is still the church in spite of everything that's going on. 
We can be thankful for that future because God is still God. He's creating within us the ability to continue to be thankful, to continue to be his church, his bride, not because we have it figured out, but because we're his. And if those things are true, that means that the final thing that we can live on, believe on, structure our future around is simply this, that the mission is still the mission. What God calls us to has not changed, not because there's a pandemic, not because the world has changed, not because anything is different. Our call remains to go and make disciples. All right, Matthew 28, starting at 18b, after Jesus' resurrection, this is his instructions to his disciples physically present, but to all who are followers of him in a spiritual sense. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age." We still have a purpose. Pandemic or not, shut down or not, the church exists to make disciples, first and foremost of ourselves, to put ourselves in the process of following and learning and being under God's lordship and stewardship, and secondly, to bring others along in that process and in that journey. To be a disciple means you make disciples. It's implicit in the definition, and nothing has changed that. Not a pandemic, not an election, not global warming, not threat level red. God is still on the throne. The church is still advancing, and it does so forcefully, according to Jesus' words. So the challenge then for us for creating this future is how do we live in this now? During the season that we find ourselves in, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our places of work, right? God is unchanging, but the church is always changing. The mission is always the same. It's never abandoned, but it's our responsibility to translate it, to ask the question, how do we make disciples now in the midst of everything that's going on in our world? How do we raise up followers and believers, not in spite of the situations that we find ourselves in, but because we are in them and because we are working through them and because we are together in them. God is still on the throne. He isn't caught off guard by COVID, by a pandemic, by our individual struggles, by the crises that we face, which means that he expected this to some degree, that he's created a way for us to live and face these times together. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 addresses this, but it uses temptation. And I think for our conversation, we can expand that term and look at it as a situation, right? Or the temptation that we have to forget God's purpose, to forget what he calls us to. But here's what it says. No temptation, right? No thing that we're in has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. There's that refrain again. It reverberates throughout scripture. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He won't place you in a situation where you won't be able to bear under it. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can endure it. Whether you're tempted to follow the appearance of wisdom, as we talked about last week, tempted to forget that God is still God, tempted to think that because the world is in a pandemic that making disciples can be on pause. No, he's given us a way through it. He's given us a way to endure it. He's given us a way to be strengthened by it. And he's faithful. He's faithful to us in that, not to give us more than we can bear, but our faithfulness provides the strength, the perspective, the ability to stand under it and create the future where we carry our thanksgiving to God into it together. 
because we know that God is still God, that the church is still the church, it's still Jesus' bride, and that means that the mission is still the mission, no matter what. Nothing changes that. Here's why this is especially important for our church family today. Because as we look into the future of what God is calling us to, I will not be the pastor of the porch. Last week I submitted my resignation to the board. Today will be my last Sunday preaching as the pastor here at the porch church. It's been a tremendous honor to serve you these last five years. I treasure the time that we've belonged to a family together that we've grown in our faith together, that we've given ourselves away in pursuit of Jesus. And while I know that this is sudden and shocking, I want to reassure you there is no moral failure on my part. I've not done anything that is requiring me to step down from ministry, but our family is exhausted. And in order to continue the calling that God has for us, it's time for us to end our season here as your pastor. We'll be returning uh, to the town where we met, where we fell in love, where our family spent the most of our time together. Our hope will be to rest and recover and heal so that we can find our next ministry assignment. Your leadership and board have been nothing but supporting and encouraging, and they've done all that they can to honor our decision and to help us end well. So while this has been a tremendously difficult decision and undoubtedly difficult for you to hear, it is imperative that you look to the future because God is still God. He's still on the throne. He is still good. He is still faithful to you. So please remain faithful to him. You are still his church You are still the ones that he gives himself up for. He still loves you with an unending love. You are his prized possession, the apple of his eye, which means that the mission is still the mission. Regardless of my presence here, you are the church. You are the light that shines in the darkness. You are the faithful ones who will, through your faithfulness, ensure that the future of the porch is a bright one and that the mission of making disciples still remains at the forefront of our shared calling in Christ together. And while this may feel like the end of something it isn't, this is the beginning of what God is doing next in the life of his church. The board has already begun conversations about defining the next steps for the congregation. We've already spoken with our district leadership. We will have help and assistance during a time of transition, and I'm hopeful that the future of the porch will shine all the brighter as we pursue God here. If you only hear one thing from me today, let it be this. I believe in you. I want the best for you, and I love you. And if you hear anything different, you can confidently know that it is not true. It has been an honor to serve you. I wish you the best in the future. I'd like to leave you with a benediction today, a blessing. 
If you feel comfortable, I'd ask you to stand. You can extend your arms in an open reception. You can close your eyes, bow your heads, whatever position you feel comfortable. As we go from this place, my prayer for you is this. May you shine. May you shine the light that God has shined on you, illuminating the darkness, bringing peace and hope to all who see it. May you create and be the family of God to all who need it and to all who seek it. May you continue to grow strong and rooted in the Lord and in his care and in his love for you. And may you give all of yourself in pursuit of the God who gave everything up for you in Jesus, making and paving a way for you to be his cherished possession and to carry out the shared mission for each of us everywhere that we go. May it be so in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's kids agreed together and said,